You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be a producer. Hey, everybody. So social media is all the rage, and everybody wants to know how to use it to sell tickets. Well, I'm teaching a webinar next Wednesday, April 6th at 7 p.m. Eastern, all about how to use social media to sell tickets for your show. Get all the details on theproducersperspective.com, and if you're a pro member, you get this webinar for free. Now, on with the podcast. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance, and you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week, one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hey, everybody, it's Ken Davenport here. This is the Producers Perspective podcast, and I've taken the show on the road today. Uh, We're podcasting from Brooklyn, which I will be honest, I've lived in New York 20 years. I've only been here like three times. Uh, We're recording this session from the studio of today's guest. Welcome to the podcast, EGOT winner, Robert Lopez. Welcome, Bobby. Hey, thanks, Ken. Thanks for having me. So Bobby really needs no intro, but in case you've been living under a musical theater rock for the past decade, he's responsible for some of the most unique and successful shows on Broadway. One of the co-creators of Avenue Q, Tony Ward for Best Musical and Score, Book of Mormon, Tony Ward Best Musical Score and Best Book as well, and a Grammy Award. Television contributed songs to Wonder Pets, Emmy Award, as well as Scrubs, The Simpsons, a lot more. Uh, and with his wife, Kristen, he wrote the songs for Frozen, including the song heard around the world as sung by every child under the age of 10, Let It Go, which is when he won that Oscar and Emmy plus Grammy plus Oscar plus Tony equals EGOT, the quickest person in history to rack up all four. Okay, Bobby. So that's where we are today. How did you get started in writing for the theater? Um, I I uh, kind of got the bug really early. I grew up in Manhattan, um, and I was in this drama group. I, I well, actually, before that, I started taking piano lessons. I was seven years old, and my piano teacher had me um, write little pieces, and I started writing songs at seven. And um, all my teachers knew that I was musical, and we did. Um, we were doing, I was in this drama group in Greenwich Village, and uh, the the teacher said, you know, would you like to write the opening number of our show? It was a little student-written show. It was kind of like chorus line, but um, but kids auditioning for a performing arts-type high school. It was like chorus line meets fame. And, uh, and I said, sure, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. And I wrote a number. Um, and that was the that was the end of it. I loved doing that, and everyone said what a great number it was. And I had the bug. I never I never looked back. Do you remember what it was about writing that piece or seeing it up that made you go, "Oh, the theater! That's what I want to write for." You could have written for pop music, for singers, for anything. But why why the theater? I don't know what it was. I think I just um, I enjoyed. I was a shy kid. 
Um, and I think a lot of artistic kids, a lot of kids who compose and play piano are, you know, they tend to be a little bit shy and music, um, was my, was my way of, um, sort of coming alive in, in, in a group. And, um, I think that's what it was that I got to be on stage and be extroverted and be, and sing and tell jokes and, uh, and, you know, and then through composing and songwriting, I could, I could sort of show that off at the same time. And it was really, it was kind of like a kid that kept to himself getting to finally show off once in a while and, and, uh, and, and having a convention that, um, that, that made it okay and, and bridged the bounds, bridged the, the, the boundaries that shyness kind of put up. Uh, this is where I sometimes ask my composer guests about their first song, but you talked a lot about your first composition or early composition on your TEDx Broadway <laughs> talk, which is amazing. So we're just going to put a link to that uh, in the blog about this, um, which is great. Then you went to Yale, right? Uh-huh. And what did you major in at Yale? I majored in English. Um, I got a BA in English. And I actually minored in, or not minored, it was a double major. I majored in music too. But I think... When you double major, it only only one of them counts, so that that's the one. And did you know you wanted to compose for the theater when you went to Yale? I did, and I went I went to Yale because uh, it's funny the, the the day that I met Stephen Sondheim when I was fifteen years old, I um I had I had um some I knew someone that knew him, and I got uh through that person I got him a tape, and he wrote me back a letter. Um, as he does to so many young composers, uh, so generously and gives it his time. And, and it was an encouraging letter and I just felt like, wow, I could really do this. And then the friend said, would you like to meet him? I said, yes. So, um, I went up to, he was recording an interview with James Lapine at, um, in Manhattan somewhere. And it was part of the, the Into the Woods, um, question and answer kind of portion of the MTI videotape and um and so I was there that day that they taped it and so was David Pogue who was this Yaley uh, who now is famous for his um his Apple reviews uh from the Times and Yahoo whatever and he was the one who said if you're going to go to college you've got to go to Yale Adam Gettle was at Yale um and uh you know you that that's the play you know you you're going to um have your work done as much as you want basically there's so many so many theaters um, just doing student written stuff, so that's why I went there. So after school, you just picked up though and, and took the got on the Metro North and moved to New York. Yeah, well, I was from New York, so I moved right back in with my parents. It was uh, quite as simple as that. <laughs> and so, tell me your first show. You got to burst on the scene with Avenue Q. But tell me a little bit about how it was born. Um, I was uh, one of the first things I did when I graduated uh, Yale. Uh, and this is something that I tell everyone that asks me for advice, uh, is I, I auditioned for the BMI workshop, BMI Musical Theater Workshop. Um, and it was a, it was this great, um, it's a class, it's still being done, it's stronger than ever now. And, um, it's free, it's for anyone that auditions and gets in. And, um, it's, it's a place where you can, A, kind of learn, uh, the, the professional jargon and the craft of musical theater writing. And, um, it's also, but even more than that, it's a place where you can, um, you can meet collaborators. You can have an audience for your early work. You can, um, find out what's going on in the scene of your generation, basically. And that's what, that's what it was for me. And that's where I met Jeff Marks, 
uh, and we um, we started writing we we uh, together. I was actually writing by myself to begin with. I was writing music and lyrics, and um, I noticed that I wasn't having as much fun as most of the other people in the class because they were all meeting each other and finding times to write together. And uh, uh, I just realized, like, I'm kind of just sort of sitting in my parents' house uh, with headphones on writing songs. Uh, so I, I called up Jeff, who had written this great song called uh, People Suck. Um, and it made me laugh, made the whole class laugh. And uh, I said, we want to write together. So we ended up writing a little show. And uh, our first project, we ended up doing a teeny show and then a bigger show called Kermit, Prince of Denmark. We had to do an adaptation. So we decided to do Hamlet as done by the Muppets. And um, it, it was all about Kermit the Frog um, was on a plane to Denver and got on the wrong plane uh, to Denmark and, uh, and and chaos ensued. Anyway, so that's how we got puppets. That's how we got the idea for doing puppets. And we met Rick Lyon. And, and I, I remember I was sitting once again in my parents' place um, with, a, with like my third scotch at one in the morning thinking, how the hell am I going to get out of here? <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and it hit me. I was looking at the TV. I was like, "What about a TV show?" And it's like Sesame Street meets Friends. And I called Jeff. It was like one or two in the morning, and he was like, "Yeah, let's do that." Um, so that that's how that was born. So we'll uh, flash forward a bit. Actually, Robin Goodman was on last week's episode, so she talked a little bit about the the uh, change from television to, right. to theater. Um, so it opens off Broadway and then it gets, you know, people think around town, oh, what a great off-Broadway show. It'll probably sit there. And then Kevin and Jeffrey and Robin move it to Broadway. And all of a sudden it's this big hit. You were living in your parent. were you still living in your parents' house when you... No, I, I moved out like the, the month that we signed the deal with, uh, with Jeffrey and Kevin and Robin, um, I moved, it was right after 9-11 It was like nine, it was 10 and 11. 10-11-01. So this little show opens big. What was going through your mind when the night of the Tony Awards, could you ever have imagined this little show born in your parents' house would ever have achieved what it did? Yeah, no. I mean, that was the that was the crazy thing. I, I never imagined Broadway success. I just always imagined, you know, off-Broadway failure. I always thought, if I could just get a failure off-Broadway, that, that'll be something. Um, so uh, that was my goal, and uh, and somehow, somehow you failed. That's other, your I failed at my goal. Yeah. I'm so sorry <laughs> to tell you. I wanted I wanted to write something that that you know was very admired, but didn't run very long off Broadway. <laughs> okay, so Avenue Q is a big hit, and then uh, we go on your next show. You start writing Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. How did you? Was there a lot of pressure on you when you started writing that show? Did you feel more pressure, less pressure? I, you know, it was for fun. In a lot of ways, it was for fun because I was writing with these um, these giants in my life. Matt and Trey were, were were a huge inspiration. They had they had just come out with South Park the year I graduated, so um, that completely they were sort of heroes. And um, and I didn't, you know, for a lot of it, I was kind of thinking like. They're just they're just screwing around, you know. I don't think they really care. I don't think they really want to do this, but we're having fun, and I get to you know go to L.A. and meet them. And um, and then it sort of started to to every time we would meet, we would write some songs, and then the songs would still be good, and they'd still want to work on it. So over the course of a few years, we assembled enough to do a reading, and that that's when it started to gain some momentum. 
and we did a we did a reading at the Vineyard Theater, which is where we had done Avenue Q um, in 2008, I think. Um, and that's when it started to be like, oh, this could be a show. This could be my next show. Um, interestingly enough, just like you, you were as you were writing, creating, you weren't thinking, oh, Broadway is where we'll be. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, and not only that, we weren't even sure it was a theater piece. Um, we were kind of writing it as an album. We were sort of writing these songs. We would write notes on what the story was. And then Trey would always lose the note cards every time. <laughs> and uh, we'd, we'd get together the next six months later and we'd be like, oh, so what's the story again? Shit, Trey lost the, the note card. So what's, what's it? Oh, and then we'd talk and we'd say like, we already figured this out. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so finally, finally um, you know, we committed some stuff to paper and we thought, we still thought, they weren't sure if they wanted to stay with what they knew and do a movie um, or if they wanted to sort of be adventurous and do it on stage, I'm glad we did it on stage. Um, but we still we still have that urge to maybe see it as a movie one day. I just love that you committed it to paper. No one picked up a laptop and put it in there, <laughs> so you wouldn't lose that. Oh, oh yeah, I don't know. I think we probably committed it to laptop. And what was what's your approach in in general with the collab to the collaborative process? You work with Jeff Marks. You're working by yourself first in your room with your headphones. Then mm-hmm. you're working with Jeff, a student, a peer. Then you're working with these giants of comedy. What is your approach to the collaborative process for writing a musical? Are you a music, lyrics? And I notice on, on a lot of your shows, you're just listed on, on Book of Mormon specifically. It's just the three of you, right? Yeah. It's not music, lyrics, book. Um, yeah, I love the more, um, the less definition between the roles. I really get, I get off on that. I like, um, obviously, like I started as a lyricist and a composer mixed together, and I always feel stifled if I can't write lyrics. So I've never worked with anyone as purely a composer. Or maybe I have, but not, just not that much. And, um, and, uh, I, um, I just like an open atmosphere. I like not feeling too precious about things. I like, um, I like when when my collaborators are allowed to say, I don't like that melody. What if it went like this? I don't like, can you change the bass line there? I like that. I like that it, that it, um, it takes it away from preciousness and, um, and ego and brings it toward the, the realm of what's going to connect with people. What, um, what is going to speak to people? Cause I think that in the end, that's really what I want to do. I don't want to write stuff that's sort of, ethereal and um and admired i I really do like to connect with with an audience and that went both ways when writing book so you were saying to trey and matt like you know what'd be funny here this would oh yeah i mean we we both we all wrote all of it it wasn't i think that because they're so famous and because they're so charismatic um they are perceived, and because we, we uh, advertise the show as South Park, South Park, South Park, they are perceived as um, having come up with the idea and being responsible for a lot of the content. But it was it was an equal collaboration between us all. And uh, I, you know, I came up with Hasadiga Ibawai, you know, which is the the song you would think that they wrote, and um, and and vice versa. There's there's lots of stuff that that I had less to do with and they had more to do with it you would think that I did. Um but uh yeah, it was um it was it was a lot of making each other laugh. And it's funny, we just celebrated the show's fifth anniversary on Broadway and um we um we spent some time together in a room talking about, you know, what the next things might be. Um and we uh we were sort of it was this this rhythm kind of came back 
uh, that felt very familiar of talking, laughing, and then all of a sudden we're all on our phones. And then someone says the next thing, talking, laughing. Uh, and uh, it, it, was, it, was this, it was this cool, familiar uh, dynamic that, that reappeared. So when you say talking about next things, next things for Mormon or another show for the three of you? Yeah, I mean, well, it was, it was mostly just they were in town. We were having a party. We were doing some press for Australia. And we wanted to have a creative session to see what would happen. And what about, so you like to collaborate early with... Uh, your fellow writers. What about directors? Do you like when they come in early? Do you like them to wait for a while? You worked with Jason on cue and then Casey Nicola, of course. Directors are really important. I mean, um, Jason, I can't say enough about Jason. We never really talk about him with what he did with Avenue Q, but um, Jason was the last of the four of us to come on board, but he was the one to kind of marshal these forces that were kind of, we were like, like a train that was pulling several different ways it's with like three locomotives and he got us all rowing in the same direction towards a goal and um and even though i would say that the end product definitely reflected what we wanted it was jason that got it there um because he he was the one that knew where where we should head um and if he hadn't come on pretty early we we probably would have spun out um, and the same thing, uh, Casey, Casey really took Mormon in, in, a, in a way different direction than it had been going in. Um, it was, his influence was really, was kind of huge. Um, he, he, the, the perception of Mormon as this big dancing traditional musical is a lot due to Casey's work. I mean, his, the dance arrangements and the dance breaks that he put in there and that Glenn, um, uh, Put in uh, that Glenn wrote really. Um, they they all we all had to work with the comedy that we set up. A lot of the show um, became what it was in Casey's workshop. And what do you think about the role of the producer on Broadway and in the development of new musicals? He worked with some very different producers. Oh from yeah, Kevin <laughs> Jeffrey Robin to Scott Rudin, Scott Rudin yeah. <laughs> now to to Disney, of course. Uh-huh. What's that like for you? What do you what kind of support do you like? What's what's a good producer to you? I've been really lucky. I mean, I think they're all in their way um, the best uh, that, that I've gotten to work with. And um, uh, I think my my favorite dynamic is that they're there when you need them, um, when in the in the development anyway. That if you need um, a workshop or a reading, they're they're able to make it happen. That they're able to challenge you to um, to go beyond what you what you think is possible. Um, they're able to give notes, but not expect you, not not force you to follow them to the letter. That they'll understand if you're um, if you try and hear the problem behind the note and address that. That they're not prescriptive of of how the plot should go or whatever. Um, so it's um, and and that they be brave, that they be risk takers. I think a lot of writers are um, risk takers. I know I'm a risk taker, but I'm also profoundly conservative. Uh, with with my money and like you know, I, I could never write a check the way producers do um, on on something challenging and something that it, it could just be a waste of money. So I think it's that sort of you know risk taking, gambling, high risk, high reward attitude that that they need to provide the the bravery for it. And um, you know, in terms of you know the different strengths and weaknesses, I mean you know Rudin Rudin is so smart at story math and. Um, and he's so good at getting you to put in 150 percent 
And I think Jeffrey and Kevin know a lot about the soul of musical theater, just having been there for Rent and, and uh, Avenue Q and Hamilton and um, all these amazing shows that they've done. They just know, uh, they have a lot of wisdom about about what makes a show, what makes a good original musical. Um, Robin too, she's, she's, she's been there through so much of it. So I don't know, I've been, I've been really, and, and, and you for, for Avenue Q, you know, keeping Avenue Q going for an ungodly amount of time. It's like Lord Voldemort Horcrux time. <laughs> I don't know how we're doing it, but, uh, um, we're grinding it out over there. Seriously, sure. seriously. I find it interesting. You said you, you know, don't understand how producers can write a check or raise money because it's so risky, but you don't see any risk in creating something and putting up in front of people and letting thousands of people judge it. Is that, is that scary for you when the curtain goes up the first time on something that you've created? Yeah, it's, 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 it's the scariest. It is super scary. And I don't mean to say that we're not risk takers. I just meant, um, risk takers as, as financial entities and as, uh, you know, like I, I, I like my stuff to be where it is. I, I like um, I like to know how much I have, all that stuff. Uh, I don't, I'm not a big better. Um, but and producers have to think like, okay, if I risk this, so what? But if you know, if it comes back, I can really get a lot out of it, and um, and that's how they have to be. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it's an emotional risk. It's a it's a risk of putting in a lot of time to something, and maybe maybe not seeing anything happen, you know. But uh, it's only yourself that you're that you're putting into it. It's not your stuff. Um, and and for me, the the thing that I love about it about Avenue Q and Mormon and Frozen is that we've put um, something together that really hasn't been seen before, and we don't know how anyone's going to react because it's never really been done before. Um, and it's almost like a weird social science experiment that you're conducting. And opening night, or the first preview, is really the, the the test case. And, I mean, with Book of Mormon, it was so electric. It was so cool that no one knew what was in the show. And um, the, the the reaction we got was just, I just I'll never forget how electric it was. Um, same thing with Avenue Q. It was pretty, people were not expecting it. And, uh, and I love, I love when, when something new kind of hits an audience. It's also, I'm also pacing in the back and... With Avenue Q, I was I was at the bar all the time. I just <laughs> I'm not I'm not a big drinker, but I was just always there, um, uh, you know, during those months because I, I I did not enjoy previews. We had a show this summer that was just uh, up here at um, at La Jolla, and that was just a tryout, uh, but it, it just put us through so much stress. Um, the the amount of um, the the amount of uh, just adrenaline and worry and fear that goes through you um, when you're when you're seeing your work up for the first time. Or do you find you're are you a fast writer or slow? Do you love to write? Like I'm sitting in your office, which you have just to write. Do you wake up like I'm going to rush to the? Or are you a procrastinator? Like which? Um, I'm not. Yeah, we can't be procrastinators anymore because I, I write a lot now with Kristen, my wife, and we are um, basically uh, together all the time. But if we want to be working, we have to use the hours that we have well, and we have a lot to do. So we've turned into really kind of nine to five or 10 to six uh, writers. And, um, you know, we're always thinking about it. We think about it in the shower. We think about it, you know, um, while we're reading books like, 
oh my God, you know, I just solved it or uh, whatever. Um, Kristen is always, we even have like a little notepad in the shower that is waterproof and there's like a pencil that's waterproof. Somewhere. I have the same you have one. the same one? <laughs> yes, I do. One of my staff members gave it to me. <laughs> it's useful, right? It is very yeah. useful. Beats writing in fog exactly, right? <laughs> in the shower door. Uh, how is writing with your wife? A lot of people would say, I will never want to work. My wife actually lives in Los Angeles, so we, we don't see each other. We see each other every couple wow. of weeks. You guys live together, work together, raise kids together. Yeah. How, how is that? Obviously, it's been successful. It's been successful, and it's, um, you know, I, I think it's essential to who we are. We, I met her at BMI as well, um, and we started dating first before we started writing together. But it quickly became sort of part of who we were as a couple even though it wasn't the major focus until, um, I'd say, like four years ago. Um, and uh, the, um, the, what we share together, I think, as a result of both being writers and writing together is, is so much. We're just, we're really, you know, we communicate so intimately about so many things during the day. Um, we have the opposite problem of most married couples who are like ships passing in the night sometimes they don't see each other because one um you know one takes over when the other one um gets a rest um uh, you know we're full in partners and it's it's a lot of good and then when when things don't go well it when we when you know when when we're both up it's great when one of us is up and the other is down that's fine because we both we you know the other one brings the other one up uh, but when we're both down, it can be it can be challenging because then who's going to bring us up? You know, it just feels feels uh, like everything has collapsed. But um, that's that's been rare. Like we've been pretty lucky. So let's talk a little bit about Frozen and, of course, the big song "Let It Go." And what I'm most curious about is when when you finish that song, when you when you two were done, did you know what it would become? Were you like this? This is a good one. We got a good one here. <laughs> this is going to go far. Yeah, I think we did. I think we we didn't know. We have obviously you never know. You always have a good feeling about anything that you want to share with people. Otherwise, you wouldn't want to share it with them. Um, but we had this feeling of like well, this is sort of a a big song, big emotional song that we weren't even expecting to get to write in this movie, this princess movie, um, and. Uh, but it was a nice, it was a, a change of pace for me, for sure, of being able to write this emo kind of ballad that um, that was about empowerment and really had doesn't have much irony to it. Uh, you know, it has a little ironic moments and all that, but it's not, it, there's nothing, there's nothing tongue in cheek about it. And, um, and it was a first for me, actually, I've been thinking back, like I really hadn't gotten to write that kind of song ever. Even when I was a kid, I would write these little ironic, uh, sometimes poignant, wry, I don't know, um, every adjective but um, empowered and, uh, you know, um, um, bearing one's soul. And, and so it was, a, it was a fun change of pace for me. And I knew that, um, that it was catchy. And, I, and, I, and it all, basically, after that, it all uh, came down to, well, will the movie be good? Will the movie earn this moment? And the answer for most of the time that we were working on the movie was no. Um, it never, I mean, everyone recognized that's a good song, but no one bought it until um, very towards the end of the, the process of making Frozen. 
How do you think Broadway is doing today? If it was a patient in a hospital, as I often say, how do you, would it be critical condition? Would it be doing well, ready for release? Seems like um, like it's not in the hospital to me. It seems it seems uh, seems like it's it's put on its shoes and it's and it's in its apartment. Um, it's fine. I think it's great. I mean, looking at Hamilton and the the I've never I don't remember a, a show in my entire life that has caused as much of a stir as Hamilton has, and I think that Fun Home um, is equally as exciting. Although um, to me, I feel like. Uh, Hamilton seems to have covered up the excitement that is Fun Home too. That I, I just I found that show so moving and so different. Um, I, I think of them both as as real uh, as real pillars of this new this new age on Broadway. Looking at all the songs that you've written, I'm going to ask a very dark question now. If you had to put one in a time capsule, as if the world was going to be destroyed tomorrow but this this would exist for future generations to see what That's song dark. of yours would you put in <laughs> this is a derivative of my of my smithsonian question i used to have shaking it up uh what's what song of yours would you would you put in there oh gee i don't know um you know there's a song um that hasn't come out yet and i can't even tell you what it's in um, we won't tell anybody. Yeah, no. <laughs> just the just the thousands of subscribers. Um, no, yeah, I, I, it's a it's a song that no one's heard yet. So I'm, and that that makes me happy that it, that I still have something. I wrote it. Uh, Kristen, and I wrote it uh, right around the same time we wrote "Let It Go," um, but it won't come out until next year. So um, so I have that to look forward to. Do you get writer's block? Do you get stuck like that and think, oh God, I don't know if I can do another Let It Go or I can I have another big one in me? Yeah, all the time. That's that's a constant dialogue that you're having with yourself of like, I, you know, I don't know if I can do it again. What if I never write another good one, etc. But um, you learn to, um, you, learn, you evolve routines and habits and um, therapy and just talking. Um, and I think once the more you write on a routine, the less that seems to be a problem. Um, I think a lot of people have said that too. Favorite song that you haven't written? Someone else, you know, this is a question that Sondheim was oh, yeah. famously asked. Yeah, and I wrote a song called um, I Wish That I Had Written Something Sondheim Wished You'd Written. Kristen and I wrote for the Roundabout 80th Birthday Concert. That's a good song. Um, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, lately. Gee, that's such a. This is too many. That's that's too too much pressure. I mean, um, even Sondheim realized there was a lot of uh, a lot of destruction spread by that list. <laughs> I don't know. I, um, oh, you know what? Um, God only knows by Brian Wilson. That's the best. You think it's easier today for new writers to break into this business or harder? I think it's. I think it's good. I think. I mean, I think it's hard. It's, it's never been easy. But um, I think there's more attention being paid to musicals than um, than I can remember in my lifetime. You know, when I was graduating, A, no one was, um, not a lot of people were banging down um, anyone's door to write anything. Uh, certainly not mine. And there was also this feeling of like, oh, Broadway's a little dusty. Um 
and now there's this feeling of freshness that it's this youthful thing and young people are doing it and um and so i i feel like it can't have gotten any harder because there's more opportunities and there's more belief that that the the form can show fresh things so um i'm going to say i'm going to say it's easier i don't know <laughs> easier for me than it used to be So when I got, I came in the door here you I said oh it's been a long day for you and you were like yeah I've been working and then I went back to have dinner with my kids you have two yeah, children two daughters, right yeah how do you juggle family with all of this like a lot of help a lot of um a lot of support and also like the best wife and mom ever I mean she just it would all collapse without her I'm uh, I I do I do stuff and I'm I'm, but I'm a supporting. I'm playing a supporting role compared to what she does. She's got the matrix in her mind. You know, she's plugged into it. And um, and we have great caregivers. We have a great school. We have this wonderful school that the girls are in, and um, great family. And um, and it's still hard. It's still really hard. How old are the kids now? They're ten and six. Was Frozen the first show of yours or the first piece of yours that they could actually see, were allowed to see because of the material in Q and Mormon? I think, uh, I think Winnie the Pooh would be closer to that because that came out a little earlier. But we also did, um, I also show, I brought, when I thought Avenue Q was closing um, on Broadway Forever, I brought Katie, who was then four, to see it. And um, the funny thing was, I kept taking her out. And then bring her back, taking her out, bring her back. And then for act two, I just sort of sat there with her and watched the whole thing. And then I realized, that's what's wrong with act two. <laughs> I love it. <clears throat> so what's next? Obviously, Frozen announced coming to Broadway. Uh, you told me earlier that this is something you're working on right now. Is that the only thing you're doing right now? What, what else is, what's next for, for you? Well, we have, um, you know, there's stuff we can't talk about. Um, we're also doing uh, Gigantic, um, which is a movie that was announced um, for Disney. It's a, it's a Jack and the Beanstalk uh, um, retelling, and um, it's animated. It's a musical, uh, same like Frozen. And, um, and uh, we're doing Frozen 2. And um, and then there's another thing we're doing, but really what we're what we have to focus on right now with the the uh, schedule that's been um, that's been handed to us by Disney is Frozen Broadway, um, which is such a major. I didn't even really quite realize what a huge undertaking that would be, um, because we didn't have. First of all, we had about you know we've been talking about it for a couple of years, but. Um, We only really started writing songs in September, and we had to, we have to basically have them all done tomorrow. <laughs> um, tomorrow really is the last is kind of our last day before before everything needs to be drafted. Um, and uh, and I, I I kind of in the in the back of my mind when they started talking about Frozen Broadway, I thought three songs, five songs, maybe. I mean, what what would it need? And then when we got into it, um, and if you look at The Lion King, for example. These movies have, you know, you can count them on your hands how many songs they have in them, and it's usually it's usually somewhere between five and ten. It's not it's never ten. Like it's really really less than ten. And um, and on Broadway, I always thought, well, this, it's more like fifteen songs on Broadway, but it's more it's really more like twenty. Um, so twenty twenty two, counting the little ones and the big ones, um, and the reprises and all that. It's it it really is. 
it's it's a it's a far more musical medium the stage uh than than cartoon musical fantasy adventure um because you don't have the benefit of close-ups or action on stage so much you could do uh on stage you're really talking about emotion stories told through song and emotion and while the plot is happening uh information is not as important events are not as important on stage you know the they jump over a big ravine and uh, something, you know, important thing falls into the ravine. Like, that's not really something that registers on on stage or, you know, the people traveling on stage doesn't register as much as it does in a movie where you believe they're traveling. Um, so, so, so much of um, what we're doing is taking cinematic moments and turning them into songs, basically, and... Uh, communicating the same story through songs. And it's a lot of songs. It's like 15 songs, 12 songs, something like that, depending how you count. Um, Frozen only has seven. See, that's so interesting, because I think for me and for most people out there, they're like, oh, they're doing Frozen on Broadway. They're just going to put it, I mean, it'll be done in like a month. Why are they waiting a year? They're doing Frozen at at Disneyland, right? They're doing at the Hyperion Theater in Disneyland. And we went to a, um, we're not writing anything for that. But the show only needs to be 45 minutes or 50 minutes or something like that. And we watched it, and they didn't omit anything that we wrote. All the songs were in it. And it was a beautiful, cozy, 45-minute, perfect 45 minutes. You know, like, then we realized, holy shit, we have a lot of stuff to write. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. I love it. Okay, my uh, last question, which is my big James Lipton question of the podcast. You ready? Okay. I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin comes to your office here, knocks on the door and says, look, we're all part of the Disney family. I want to thank you for everything you've done for us and for musical theater, and I want to grant you a wish. Wish for more wishes. Can't wish for more (laughs) wishes. Nice Oh, damn it. What's the one thing about Broadway, or for you, I'll even widen it to the entertainment industry because you work so uh, often on both coasts now. What's the one thing that drives you so crazy, that makes you angry? You are one of the nicest and sweetest guys I've met and known. I, I when I hear about your collaborative process, uh, I am not surprised because you're such a nice and genial uh, guy. What makes you mad, keeps you up at night, that you would wish this genie would change in the snap of a finger? Mm. You know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think about that stuff like you, you're saying. I, I think if I, if I were to... It's, it's something new that I really never quite um, felt before, but I've realized, I've, I think a lot of people have been realizing it lately. And it's, um, it's just representation. It's... It, I never realized. I grew up, um, you know, I'm part Filipino. I'm, I'm, I was not raised uh, as ethnically different than, than, I was assimilated, you know, I was basically, I came from an assimilated family. And to me, normal America was, a, you know, a story would be about a white person. And um, I would change that. I would change, and, and having daughters and having written Frozen, I learned just from watching the response to that how much my uh, experience as a man has been 
has been affected by um, by the the white privilege, white male privilege of our society, and that how um, how how insidious it is at a very basic level. It's like the lens we see the world through. That um, yeah, of course, men uh, you know run it. Of course, it's just that's the way it is. Uh, I would I would change that. I would change. I would I would want the stories that we see to reflect all the stories that are out there. It's a great answer. I want to thank you for that answer and congratulate you on all the success. And thank you for taking time out of your very busy, busy day uh, to spend it with us. Ooh, and uh, I'm going to announce our next guest, but we're going to announce it in a little different way. We're going to play a little game. You ready? Yeah. Want to play this game? Love it. It's the riddle. First of all, I will tell you that all the guests, we are now doing a little six degrees of separation. So you are connected to the next guest. Okay. Now finish this riddle. Ready? Here you go. All you out there, you ready for it? He's press repped like 400 Broadway shows from Book of Mormon to Sunset Boulevard to Anything Goes. Originally from London Town. My next guest is... Chris Bono? Adrian Brian Brown. (laughs) His partner... You're good. Don't so worry. Awesome. I have no idea. Uh, thank you so much for this, Bobby. And uh, best of luck with Frozen and Frozen 2. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And we'll see you next time. Don't forget, next Wednesday, April 6th, how to sell tickets with social media, the webinar. 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Get all the information at theproducersperspective.com and join the Producers Perspective Pro and you can take this webinar for free. I'm gonna be a Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.